Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening, and now for today's program. Welcome to our program. I'm glad you could join us today. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to be preaching from the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, concluding this chapter with this message, this title, The Son of Man Glorified. The Son of Man Glorified. And I took the, I'm taking the title from verse 31. I'll, I'll be talking about some of the verses before this. But verse 31, where the Lord Jesus Christ teaching his disciples in the upper room. In fact, uh, John 13 and a few chapters on, are, they're called the upper room discourses. It's where Christ had finished his public ministry to the people as a whole. And he began teaching his disciples privately in the upper room. And this was right before he was to be arrested and taken to, and, and go to the cross to die for the sins of his people. This is where he instituted the Lord's Supper uh, for the church, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, that memorial ordinance. There's just two ordinances that Christ gave to the church to be kept. And that, well, the first one was believer's baptism. And that's baptism by immersion for believers, not infants. And then he gave them the Lord's Supper as a memorial ordinance. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he says here in verse 31, Therefore when he was, or John writes of him, Therefore when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now, uh, this is, uh, Judas is the one who's gone out. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But Jesus said, this is the Lord speaking, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And then in verse 32, He says, If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him, glorify him in Himself, and shall straightway, which, which means now, or in, you might say immediately, glorify Him. Now, he's speaking of the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son that would be manifest in his cross death, which uh, we, we look at his whole experience, his obedience unto death, wherein he died, he suffered, he bled, he died on the cross, and he was buried, and then he arose again the third day. And that glory was made manifest in all of that experience that Christ went through as the surety, the substitute, the redeemer of his people. That great act in time, the cross work of Christ, is the crux of redemptive history. And the, the success of it, it wasn't a failure. There's absolutely in no sense, if you know the Bible, if you know the gospel, 
that you can say that any part of what Christ experienced on the cross was a failure. It was all determined before the foundation of the world. The Bible speaks of the elect of God and describes them as those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's the Lamb that was slain. That's Christ, the Lamb of God. He came into the world to be slain, to uh, 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 to die on the cross. And it was all in fulfillment of God's purpose, God's will, God's sovereign will. And, and, and you, can, you can see that in the scriptures over in, in the book of Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. Listen to what the Bible says. Peter at Pentecost. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is after his ascension unto glory. And listen to how Peter relates this. And he says in verse 22 of Acts 22, Acts 2, verse 22, chapter 2, verse 22. He says, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. In other words, God uh, was obviously approving of this, this person because he is God, manifest in the flesh, the Son of God which God did by Him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Now listen to verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And that word foreknowledge means foreordination of God. It's not just God looking down through time and finding out what was going to happen. As if there's some kind of a fate or a kismet or something like that. No. Or karma, as people say today. God, he was delivered, Christ was delivered by the determinate. This was a determination out of the counsel of God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. The determinate counsel. God's foreordination and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain In verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. The grave could not hold him. It wasn't even possible. Why? Because he's God manifest in the flesh. This was the determinate counsel and foreordination of God. That's the death of Christ. He was was put on this earth and, and, and came to this earth, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and united Himself with a perfect sinless humanity, human nature, body and soul, created for Him by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and walked this earth and obeyed the law perfectly unto death even the death of the cross, to satisfy the justice of God, to put away sin, to, end, uh, to make an end of sin, to finish the transgression, to bring in everlasting righteousness. And that's the righteousness of God, the merits of Christ, obedience unto death as the surety, the substitute, and the redeemer of His people. 
And there was no possibility that this was not going to happen. Every facet of it. Nothing was left to chance. And even if you go back to John 13, when Christ is sitting here with his disciples, and he's speaking to them, you know, this is when he washed their feet and he showed them the, the humility that he would, uh, the depths of humility that he would go to to save his people. And he, had, he told them to follow him in this humility because that's what believers are to do. Humble ourselves before God. And that's a grace of the Spirit. And he says, he, he talked to them about how happy they would be if they would do these things. And look at verse 18 of John 13. He says, I speak not of you all. Now at this time, there were 12 men there. They're called the 12 uh, disciples. One of them was a false disciple. And you know that. And you know who it was. It was Judas. And so when he says, I speak not of you all, who is exempted from the blessings that he's been pronouncing here? It's Judas. He said, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now this, this that says, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Uh, most scholars think that's a, that's a prophecy that's found in Psalm 41. And it, and it is found there. But this was all determined before by God. Even Judas. And I know, I know people today are so uh, uh, opposed to the sovereignty of the will of God. And God's electing grace, God's predeterminate plan and purpose, predestination. And I'll admit to you that it is a mind-boggling truth. You've heard the song, God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. But you see, God is so high above us. He knows all because He's determined all. He is the determinate God. This, the, this is the God of the Bible, whether you want to believe it or not. And you can look at it and say, well, that's not fair, and this is not fair, and why would God do this, and why would God do that? And the book of Romans chapter 9 gives you your answers, but most people don't like that. Basically, what it, tell, what it tells us, in essence, is God is God, and He's so high above us in wisdom. And in every way, in justice, in every way. And we're the creature. And who are we to argue with God? Who are we to debate God? You remember God asked Job that when Job was trying to justify himself because of his trials. And he asked Job, he said, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I put Leviathan in the sea? And what he was telling Job there is, Job, you're a human being. You're a creature. In fact, you're a sinful human being. You're just not equipped to climb in to the eternal mind of an all-wise, all-knowing God and debate with Him and tell Him what's wrong and what's right. You don't have that position. He's the potter. We're the clay. But here it is, right here. He says, that this one who's going to betray him, Judas, 
It was determined before the foundation of the world. Now, you, like I said, you might go away and say, well, that's just not, God just didn't treat him right. God gave Judas what he deserved. And that's why in the gospel, one of my prayers, one of the prayers of God's people, I don't want what I deserve. I don't want what I've earned. You see, the gospel is salvation by grace. And Judas was just as responsible as any of the other disciples, Peter, James, or John, to hear and believe the word of God. Yet we know that no sinner of his own will will believe. It takes a miracle of God's grace to bring a sinner to faith in Christ. Again, I quoted almost every program, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved, through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But you see, you don't live in the eternal realm of God. You're a human being. You're a sinful human being. So am I. We live on this earth. And we can only operate and make our decisions based upon what we know and what we see. And I quote this verse out of Deuteronomy 29, 29 quite often. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us that we might do his revealed will. You know, in the Bible, you can, you can distinguish between God's sovereign will, which cannot be broken. He said, read Isaiah 46 sometime. He said, I, will, I have purposed it. I will do it. Nothing's going to stop it. In Daniel chapter 4, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what do you think you're doing? That's God's sovereign will. Cannot be broken. Ephesians 1.11, he's the God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. But then there's the revealed will of God by way of commandment, which is broken all the time. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. We break those uh, commandments all the time. Because we're sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, the gospel is a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now, God knows who his people are. He's determined that. But you don't know. And if you try to operate acting upon the eternal mind of God, well, if I'm not elect, I won't do this. Or if I'm not, you know, if God hadn't chosen me, you're, you're actually trying to play God. And you don't need to do that. That's pride. But here's Judas. Look, look back here at John 13, verse 19. He says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, that you may believe that I am. Now, what he's talking about is the wheels of God's providence. And you know what providence is? That's God's control. God's government. Of all things. He's in control. Nothing's out of God's control. Nothing takes God by surprise. And what he's telling them is the wheels of God's providence have uh, uh, taking, ta uh, bringing Christ to the point of the cross. Those wheels have begun turning now. And he says, you'll know that I am. That's literally what it is. You see the he there if you've got a King James Bible. That's in italics. Well, the I am, that's one of the I am statements of Christ that proves him to, to be God manifest in the flesh. 
So in verse 20, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Now there's the, there's the connection of God's people with God the Father through God the Son incarnate. He says, He says, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, well, who does he send? He sends his preachers to preach the gospel. He sends his witnesses. And what do his preachers do? They point to Christ for all salvation. They preach the righteousness of God in Christ. They don't preach salvation by works. They don't preach salvation conditioned on sinners at any stage, to any degree, in any way. It's all of salvation conditioned on Christ who by himself, as the surety, substitute, and redeemer of his people, who finished it, kept it, met every condition that was required to ensure their eternal life unto glory. So that not one person for whom Christ died and was buried and arose again will perish. He died for his sheep. We've talked about that in John 10. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. So he sends his preachers, and he says there, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. To receive the word of the gospel, which is the word of Christ, is to receive him. And how, do, how do, can we receive him? You know, back over in John chapter 1, it speaks of receiving Christ. It first talks about those who would not receive him. And you need to understand now again, by nature... As we are naturally born in dead in trespasses and sins, fallen in Adam, we fell into a state of sin and death in Adam. When Adam fell, we fell. And when we're born into this world, we're born spiritually dead. That is, no spiritual heart, no spiritual desires, no spiritual ears and eyes, eyes to see the glory of God, ears to hear the, the truth. And we're totally depraved, which means we will not believe on our own free will. Our wills aren't free anyway. They're subject to what we know and what we want. You know, why does one person like this particular food and another person doesn't like it at all? It tastes the same to each one. But one likes it, one doesn't. So that's the desires. So he says in verse 11 of John 1, he says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, many people say, well, that's talking about his own nation, the Jews, who did not as a whole, as, a, as, as the majority of the people, they did not receive Christ. They rejected him. But it's really speaking of the whole human race by nature. Even his elect by nature would not receive him. But then in verse 12, he says, But as many as received him. Now, there are some who receive him. And who are they? Well, they're the elect. They're the children of God. They're believers. And he says that many as receive him, uh, received him, to them gave he power or authority or the right. See, that word power there is not ability. That word power is the authority and the right to become the sons of God 
In other words, if I, t- if I tell you I'm saved, and I tell you I'm a child of God, a son of God, what right do I have to make that claim? What authority gives me any confidence that I truly am saved? And he says, even to them that believe on his name. Do you believe on his name? His name is His glory. His name is who He is so that He is distinguished and identified as the Lord of glory. There's no one like Christ. That's what He said. His name identifies Him in the Word. Who is Jesus Christ? God manifest in the flesh. What did he accomplish on Calvary? That's his name. The Lord our righteousness. And it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power, even to them that believe on his name. And look at verse 13. Which were born, not of blood. It's not our natural birth. Nor the will of the flesh, or the works of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. It's not, you're not born again because you make the right choice. But you're born, but of God. Born again. Born from above, as he described in John 3. Well, back over here in John 13. He says, if you receive those who sent me, you receive me and receive uh, him that sent me. You receive the Father. The only way to get to the Father and have a right relationship with God is through Christ. Based upon his shed blood. His righteousness imputed. And verse 21, it says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And it troubled him. That's his human nature. Now, it wasn't like our being troubled. Our, you know, our human nature is sinful. And we were full of doubts and fears and misgivings and complaints and all of that. But Jesus was, he was getting ready to go into a, something he had never experienced in his humanity. And that's the suffering of the cross. And it troubled him. And he says, somebody here is going to betray me. Verse 22, then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Doubting. Read on, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's how John identified himself. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, verse 26, He it is to whom I shall give a sop or a morsel to dip, to eat, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Judas revealed himself. Now one significant thing here that you need to notice is the disciples before this, they saw nothing specific in Judas that would bring them to doubt, to, to identify Judas as the betrayer. Judas was just like the rest of them. And so they didn't know who it was until Christ revealed him. And it says in verse 27, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Satan entered into Judas. 
That's the problem with man. We are naturally totally depraved. And then when Satan works on us to deceive us, we're doubly damned. And that's why we need salvation by God's grace who can defeat ourselves and defeat Satan. And Jesus then said, Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this unto, unto him. They didn't understand yet what, why he said that to Judas. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag, that is the money bag, the treasury, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. They thought he was telling Judas, well, go buy some things for us to eat, or give some money to the poor. And so verse 30 says, He then having received the sop went immediately out, and it was night. Now, leading up to that comes our text. Therefore, verse 31, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What he's talking about, he's speaking in anticipation of the cross. As, as I said before, the wheels of God's providence began rolling. And he said, if God be glorified, verse 32, in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. The time's coming near. He's going to the cross. Yet a little while I'm with you, you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, Christ went to the cross to die for the sins of his people, and he did it by himself. He had no help from man, not even his disciples. And you know later on they all fled. Peter betrayed him. So this, this was a work that only one person could do by himself. The Lord God of glory, God the Son incarnate. And by that one offering, he accomplished the salvation of the whole election of grace. Every sinner throughout time who God would bring to faith in Christ and repentance of dead works. This is the glorification of God as both a just God and a Savior. He is a just God and a Savior. That means He can be both a righteous judge and a merciful Redeemer. All based upon the death of Christ, His blood shed, His righteousness accomplished, that God has imputed to every one of His people. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of Christ. And it's the glory of His people. Paul wrote, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that? That's the whole issue there. Hope you'll join us next week for another message from God's Word. We are glad you could join us for another edition of Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. To receive a copy of today's program or to learn more about Reign of Grace Media Ministries or Eager Avenue Grace Church, write us at 1102 Eager Drive, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Contact us by phone at 229 432 
1-800-242-6969 or email us through our website at www.theletterrofgrace.com. Thank you again for listening today and may the Lord be with you.